power of Castle Hate Skull. I am Hellamark Harley, and I am here to entertain the people who have decided to show up. Thank you so much once again to everybody who's here and who decided to click on the little thumbnail showing a me. I am sincerely grateful once again. I know I talk about gratitude a lot on this podcast, but there's a lot to be grat- grateful about. And, um, I'm excited to bring you another banger of an episode if you are experiencing this show for the very first time because you didn't follow me before on the Haters Will Say YouTube page and you're following the Thick Boy YouTube. Welcome. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Mark, H-A-R to the L-E-Y. I'm a pretty freaking cool and thick E guy. Okay, I tried. I did. You know, haters get so triggered when I rap that I have to do it sometimes. So... What's this podcast? This podcast is about so many things. Fitness, anabolics, self-help, psychology, psychedelics, anything I want it to be, but mainly I'm gonna try to root this in. Trying to better yourself through fitness and all the related things from there. I'll tell you about my life. I want to hear about your life. I want to make this an interactive community where everybody can laugh, live, and love. So, as I mentioned before, I am very grateful I'm grateful for joining the Thick Boy Network. I'm grateful to have my wonderful producer, the most handsome producer on the internet, the most handsome podcast producer. Let's just specify. I don't know if there's other producers outside of the podcast world who are more handsome than Casey, but Casey Garrity, internet's most handsome podcast producer. Let's give it up. Appreciate you. And everybody's favorite intern, Christian. Yes. How's I'm going to doing? try to incorporate. Just, you know, I'm, I'm going to pretend you guys are. I'm not going to pretend you guys uh are not in the room anymore. I've done it for too long, but I had this realization of like, why am I not talking to you guys like I do in normal life? Because I, I love you guys and I want to discuss what I'm discussing here with you. Sometimes I need somebody to bounce some ideas off of. So, as I mentioned before, a couple things I was grateful about this week and just to give you a window into my life, I'm an actor, I have auditions sometimes and sometimes I'm super psyched about them because I knew I'm going to be right for that thing potentially. And sometimes I'm not excited at all because I'm not right for that thing. Like Casey, have you ever had an audition and you know immediately you're not going to be selected? Yeah, particularly with like stunt stuff. My older brother's a stuntman. Uh-huh. And so sometimes they'll be like, yeah, you have the right look or something. But I know I'm physically incapable of what they're asking. Yeah. And now do you still go? How do you audition for stunt stuff? Um, so the, they'll be like a stunt coordinator uh-huh. and they'll kind of like reach out to you and be like, Hey, are you available these dates? Can you put yourself on tape? This, that kind of thing. So it's yeah. less formal than like going through an agent or a manager for typical yeah. acting stuff. So it's kind of just up to the coordinator, but you still got to show the goods precisely. Yeah. You still got to put yourself on tape and do so. I assume you're doing some sort of stunt on tape, right? Uh, no, typically they'll just have you like. Uh, just to make sure you have the right look kind of deal. Gotcha. Okay. It's assumed so. you can do the stunt, which in my <laughs> case is not true. Yeah, I could, yeah I, could, I could horseback ride. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I can do a triple backflip. So in this instance, it was for, you know, I can't say exactly what the movie is, but it's a, a horror movie with an iconic serial killer, and they're open to all ranges of types. But immediately, like, the, the things they reference are like Jackie Earl Haley and Little Children, if you know who that is. Um, somebody who looks like, you know, a creepy chimo. A creepy kiddly fiddler on the roof. Now, that's not me. They're not saying he has to be like that, but like the other examples, like, or like Bill Skarsgård and it. You know, I don't really look like him either. I just, I, I have my doubts about them casting a 240 pound muscular uh, 
lead in this horror movie. However, you still got to give it your go, your, your, your best shot, and try to make it as good as possible. And this just happened to be a more involved uh, audition that had me like improvise a story about uh, killing a childhood pet, you know, from the perspective of, of the main character, which even though I don't think I'll get it, just having that monologue actually on film, I think was helpful. I'm like, oh, I kind of like what I came up with, you know, patching together little details of different things that I've had and making it, you know, into a psychopathic pet murder scene. But um, another thing that happened as I was filming, and part of it is like, you're supposed to like be filming a selfie thing that's like this dark moment where um, the guy kills himself. And I thought it'd be really smart to use this fake gun and then drop the camera like as I pulled the trigger and of course the first take it smashes. <laughs> so I'm like, great, I have, um, I'm not gonna get this audition. I broke my phone over it. Luckily I have insurance, but it's just one of those auditions. Don't take it personal. No. But what I'm saying is sometimes those, I shot it in multiple locations. I had, you know, multiple things going on because they ask you for this, they ask you for an interview, they ask you for a story, they ask you for a clip that has to be lit a certain way. If you really wanna maximize how you could be seen as that character. And then I send it out and let it go knowing that I, it's a 99.9% .9 chance generously that I'd get the role. However, then you have other stuff. Another thing I'm really excited for where these things come up and I go, I know I'd be perfect for that, right? I know they would be stupid not to cast me. And that usually has to do with something like if you need like a tall guy who's like over a certain weight and muscular and long hair, you know, they do have these like, we need a barbarian and he also needs to do like improv comedy. I'm like, well, there's three other guys in Los Angeles who could do it like me. So, you know, a low bar, a small pool, but it still gives you that confidence uh, and, and validation that you're like, all right, maybe, you know, sacrificing my look of any sort of normalcy as far as size and appearance go, Sometimes that does pay off. So I have another one that I can't say too much about, but if it goes through, you'll be hearing a lot about it. And I'll be very excited to talk to you about it. I hate to be that guy right now. It's big things coming, man. You know what I'm saying? Just keep posting, right? Come back tomorrow and, and the next day to my Instagram. We're doing big things. Everybody's doing big things. But uh, in this case, I just, it's cool to like get attention from a casting director and then you hear the director wants to see you because you're like, yes, I knew I'd be right for this. And they kind of realize it too. So even if nothing happens from it, um, it's cool to just get that little bit of validation. And that goes a long way when you can behave in a grateful fashion towards those little moments. So, other good news, catalytic converter replaced suck it haters. Um, speaking of which, I'm gonna inter interject here with a Mark Harley meme of the week. This is a new segment I wanna start. <laughs> but somebody makes this Adam mentality world made this, I thought it was fantastic. It shows me behind the wheel of a Prius, surrounded by motorcyclists, and the caption is, haters will say that Mark Harley is not in the Hell's Angels now that his catalytic converter was stolen. Amazing, great job. And if you want, people make me into memes every week, a few people really good at Photoshop do this, and they got that cleverness. Like I said, all my, my fans are just so consistently more funny than my haters. If you sense something like this, even if it was more uh, you know, offensive to me, and mean, but it was this like clever and well done, I would post it. Still waiting, haters. Um, so, that's a side note to the fact that I got my catalytic converter replaced and wanted to touch on something that happened yesterday. By the time you'll be listening to this, it will have been a few days, but uh, Brendan 
pulled his hamstring yesterday racing Chappelle. Wanted to use that as an opportunity to talk about some things, both mindset and just the nuts and bolts of what you do when you're injured and how to recover from that and bulletproof it in the future. So look, I pulled my hamstring a number of times from sprinting. It usually is in that like final gear of you're not just going fast. You're like trying to beat somebody, you know, you're going much faster than you normally would. I mean, it happens to the best of the best Olympic sprinters can pull a hamstring, so so can the average person trying to beat their friend in an ill-advised foot race. Um, you know, the crucial thing here is that Brendan has the Tough Mudder coming up in what was 10 days from when he injured it. And, or, and he injured both of his hamstrings roughly at the same time, which is equally devastating because, you know, just to walk around, you have to, you can't like fully immobilize that leg and not use it at all like you could if you just had one uh, wrong, one, one torn. So you're in a shittier position having both, and it's just obviously more depressing to pull both sides of, uh, both muscles on both sides of the body. However, with some rest, with some massage, with some healing peptides, I do believe it is possible not to get back to full speed and actually sprint again after 10 days, but I'm optimistic about Brendan being able to jog even a long distance, even that 10 miles that the, uh, the what is it, like 15K, something more, um, roughly. So uh, the 10 miles, it'll be tough. It'll be exhausting. Who knows? Maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I think that he will be showing up and doing the thick mutter regardless of this minor setback. And it's also an opportunity for me to talk about your mindset. Again, I'll always talk about this when you have an injury. I've made the mistake many times before of giving it up, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, saying, uh, because I've had this injury, I'm not gonna do anything else. I'm gonna go off my diet. Uh, I'm not gonna do any other form of training. I'm gonna slack off and not do recovery or, or rehab because even that is, you know, you find it pointless when you're more depressed. Um, but if you can just allow yourself to have that day or that moment to feel like, okay, yeah, pout, get it out, be angry, be disappointed in yourself, you know, feel like a dumbass for doing something that, you know, you didn't have to do, it's an unforced error. But then get right back on that horse. I remember I pulled a hamstring right before senior year of college playing football, like the day before camp started. So I was, I worked out all summer so hard, isolated myself, worked a job and was just like working and working out and then trying to beat my friend in a series of 100-yard sprints, like my running back friend, we're doing like 10 of them, and on the fifth one, I'm like, I'm gonna beat his ass this time, and like, got out to a good start, you know? Um, and pulled up in like, you know, 30 yards in. With a pulled hamstring that lasted the whole season because I never let it heal properly. And so that's another mistake you make is rushing to get back, especially with peer pressure, with other people being like, are you gonna play this week? Can you do this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, I think. But you always have to listen to yourself. You can't push it. And if you let it heal properly, it's a, there's a much better chance that you'll never have an issue with it again moving forward. So, um, moving forward, what do you do with a hamstring like that? We're gonna hit deadlifts harder, we're gonna do kettlebell swings, we're gonna do heavy hamstring curls, we're gonna do Nordic drops, that's one of the best movements that you can do for strengthening hamstrings and preventing in injuries. They've studied this in comparison to hamstring curls. Uh, guys who did sets of Nordic drops had less hamstring pulls. Um, I want to personally work my way up to the point where I can do a Nordic drop, which is you anchor your, your, your ankles, you put your uh, hands either in front of you or behind you, and sort of using your hamstrings, you lower your upper body 
Uh, you lower your chest to the floor without anything else touching besides your knees. Really hard to do. Um, you can start by dropping into it, kind of like doing the negative, hold the negative as much as you can and then drop and then push back up and do it again. So Nordic drops, one leg RDLs. It's a great athletic movement. Get a full stretch, balance on one leg and lunges in general, I think are good. Um, oh, and the weighted hyperextensions that keep your leg outstretched and you can just generate a lot of force against um, your hamstrings in a position where it kind of mimics you know, your foot outstretched striking during a sprint, okay? And I'm just gonna say one more thing. I'm grateful for this guy that I met on IG who's a doctor who was uh, helping me both figure out my, a shoulder injury I have and Brendan's hamstring last night. People will reach out to me and like just offer their expertise and I'm like, God damn, this is so cool. Social media is so cool that I can meet you online and you can be an expert, a doctor, and you're like, and I, you know, I'm retired. I just wanna help you. I have some time and I'm gonna give you my expertise for free. So I think this is actually somebody who you're gonna be seeing more of lately because that's such a good conversation and our interests align in such a way because not every doctor is into bodybuilding and anabolics and stuff like that. This guy is, so look out, big things coming. You know what I'm saying? We got a doctor on the show, god damn. Crazy comment of the week. I'm gonna start reading some of the best comments from the comments section. Last week, as I talked about a guy's house burnt down, we put up the GoFundMe form. Somebody, uh, trunk, Trunks Smash said, my house got burned down. Took one minute, looked at my room and said, fuck it. Got my dog out, ran around looking for the cats. Once outside, I realized I forgot my sister. Ran back inside and got her out. All I could think was my Hispanic parents will kill me if I, don't, if I didn't get her out. Into the fire I go. I like that that's sort of the voice in his head, like, man, if I let my sister die, my parents are gonna kill me. Not like, hey, I want my sister to not burn in a fiery blaze. Also specifying Hispanic parents as if any other right. ethnicity parents yes. would leave exactly. the sister in there. <laughs> How would your parents feel if you left, Giov if you left Gianni uh, burning in the house, Christian? Um, they would definitely not be happy, you know? Yeah. If, I if Gianni left me, then it'd be a different oh, story. Oh, wow, no, so you kidding. think there's a little... Just, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's definitely you the know. favorite. Okay, yeah, yeah. well, I'm glad you got yourself out, you know, so you got to do what you got to do. Um, yeah, the idea that, like, well, you know, my white parents were like, whatever, did you try your best? Here's a participation trophy in the shape of a flame. <clears throat> so if you keep writing crazy comments like that and give me fodder, I'm going to read them out because that was goddamn funny. I also want to start a new segment called Liver King Meme of the Week because he's just the gift that keeps on giving. I know I use that phrase a lot, but like the Liver King has become one of my favorite internet personalities. I know I called him out uh, for being a, a fitness charlatan in some degrees. I'm not saying that I disagree with any of the dietary recommendations that he gives out regarding eating animal organs. Uh, I, I'm sure that can be very helpful and I'd love to try it sometime just as an experiment. But the main thing we talk about is the fact that He's obviously super enhanced anabolically and makes no mention of it while selling you diet and training programs that implicitly suggest you can look like me if you train and eat like me. But you're leaving that huge part out, aren't you? So the first one, the runner up here is, what are these little characters? Is that like anime stuff, do you know? These, the guys in purple? Not sure, we can go Okay. Away. Well, it's two action figure, big action figure, um, like a taller one that's meant to be a bigger person, but it's still very small when you put it on the table because he's blocking some uh, strands of spaghetti from coming out. <laughs> the spaghetti is debilitating insecurity 
the big guy blocking that from coming out and hitting the little guy behind him is Tren, and then the little guy behind him that he's saving from the debilitating insecurity spaghetti is Liver King. And that's funny to me because it's accurate. Like, he does seem like he was a guy who, like, got bullied or picked on and is overcompensating in some way. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just that one of my favorite things about this guy is that he's sort of terminally awkward. You know, the way he addresses people. It's like, hello, primals. Today, we're eating 18 egg yolks. And every time that I work, I put my computer outside in the sun stacked on rogue boxes. Can't you see that I have an 80-foot extension cord going back to the house? You know, everything's like... I live in a bed uh, that's surrounded by Wi-Fi proof 18 inch cement walls, so I can't look at my phone at night, you know? And it's like, that's really cool. Like, am I ever gonna go to that length to, to replicate, you know, what my ancestors lived like? Um, speaking of which, the winner is a little four part comic here featuring the Liver King. He's like discovering these, these scrolls, what, like in water or something. Like he's up, it's like some crystal cave and he's like, I finally found it after 15 years. The scroll of truth opens it up and it reads, our ancient ancestors didn't have internet and social media. And then in the final frame, he's going, yeah, throws it away. It's funny because it's true, right? Your whole message is preach ancestral living. Now I get it, it's a contradiction. It's, it's an impossibility that you could spread that message effectively if you didn't use social media, but we get to call them out anyway, right? Um, because obviously in order to make money off of this philosophy, you're compromising the philosophy to some degree. So I just love pointing out how money corrupts people. That's all I want to say. Okay, if this is your first time on the page, then this will be your first hater of the week. Congratulations on experiencing such a cool segment of the podcast for the first time. Now, I'll give you a little background. It's not just about who's the meanest to me, because there are people who say mean things all the time. They just sort of can kind of get repetitive, unclever, or just too mean-spirited without any humor. And sometimes people do the most devastating things. They don't even mention me by name, but I know that they're coming after me and they're coming after me hard. And the sheer ingenuity that these people utilize in hating on me is something that I have to applaud. So here we have a picture of a goat with a human face face mask and I don't know if you guys can see this, but that's my face. I don't know this person. And like, could it not be my face? Sure, but like, I, I don't, I see more evidence that it is my face than that it isn't my face. Specifically note that there's a, a dark spot on this, on the lip of the face mask that's on the goat that matches a dark spot that I have in the exact same place on my lip, on the lips that are the exact same shape below a goatee, a mustache on a goatee that's the exact same length and shape. Same skin tone, same this, same that. So, Wally in the house is the TikTok and Instagram account. I guess is this is, uh, you know, some celebrity goat. Let's go with that. And is there a link there? Yeah, let's play this. This is funny. How am I supposed to live, laugh, love in these conditions? She's saying, how am I supposed to live, laugh, love in these conditions? Which I think is funny on its own, and I actually posted it without thinking about it. And then people were sending it to me like, is that you? I'm like, wait a second, it is me. Does this woman know? I'm going to have to reach out to her and be like, Where, where'd you, I, you want to fuck? Because <laughs> that's, that's the vibe I'm getting here. Um, but if you did do it on purpose, bravo. If you didn't do it on purpose, you're lying. 
and it's obvious to everybody. So just wake up. We got a little picture down there too, just to cap it off of me, right? Of my mouth down there. Can we make that bigger? I don't know if it does, but yeah. Like you'll see in the upper right little corner of there, and I know it's kind of actually photoshopped out a little bit. You can see it better, but it's like a little dark mark that I have on my lip. Tell me that's not my mouth, okay? And I'll tell you that you're a liar. So another thing I like to do each week is introduce my loyal viewers and the intelligent, creative, wonderful people who watch my show to other really cool pages, either on Instagram or YouTube or some combination of the two. The one I'm going to do this week is a guy called Leo and Longevity. Mainly I watch his YouTube videos. He does have an Instagram page, um, but I think he just kind of posts the, uh, the thumbnails of the videos that he posts on YouTube. One of the most interesting channels on the internet to me. The logline of the channel is the number one channel for biohackers manipulating biology for performance and longevity. And I think that's kind of an interesting outgrowth of like, you could be interested in anabolics, but you're also interested in the science of not just bodybuilding, not just being like, how can I get as jacked as humanly possible and forget about every single other thing? Because that, that is one pursuit and you still need uh, an expertise in that area to do that successfully and not you know, kill yourself as quickly as you might otherwise just blasting ungodly amounts of gear. But there's also a science to doing it right, increasing your longevity. And that kind of correlates with like, if you're optimizing your hormones, you're optimizing you know, your hair growth and how your skin looks and how you do with women, it kind of opens up this world into just general, not self-help, but self-improvement and uh, looking for hacks that you can uh, implement to make everything about your life better. That's how I would describe this page, okay? <laughs> I think it's gonna suffice to say that uh, I can share what this page is about with you just by reading some of the recent titles on the videos that he posts. I've watched some of these. I've never watched a Leo and Longevity video and felt like, nah, that wasn't worth it or I didn't learn something. He brings the receipts, he brings the facts, he brings the studies and the topics are just like all over the place but somehow they're, they always like, I, I understand where that came from. And it's mainly just something that he's curious about. Let's look at some of these titles. How to protect your brain from punches. Why you can't call people the R word. You can't call people Republicans. Uh, more neck, more sex fingers and sexual orientation. That was the one I watched recently where like you can look at uh, studies of people like if, if this finger is longer than that one, it means it, it predicts something about your sexual orientation to both men and women that, you know, um, sorry, this, this uh, your, your ring finger to your index finger um, and its association with androgen exposure in the womb has all sorts of these interesting predictors later in life. Uh, a country so dirty its people are short. It's a video about India. That's not racist. That's just me telling you he did a video on it. And also he's from the Middle East. So how can he be racist against anybody else? Redheads in bed. <laughs> that just seems like it's a porno title, but I listened to the video and watched it and I thought it was really interesting actually um, because it asks a question. It's like, kind of. I like things too, like Malcolm Gladwell, people take this stereotype idea and then see if there's any truth to it. You know, like, are Asians really good at math? And Malcolm Gladwell took that thing and go, well, could there be a reason for that and examine their language? And it's like, oh, yeah, if you count to 20 in Chinese, every little word is shorter. So if you're a kid, maybe you have an easier time counting to 20, and then you have this built-in advantage over the course of decades, and, you know, maybe. Is there a behavioral difference in redheads that makes them more crazy in bed? I don't know. I mean, there is some speculation and evidence for that, but I don't know. I'm not saying that. Obviously, Leo's just saying that. Ted Bundy was right about porn. 
is another video, a biohacker's guide to quitting smoking, how to deal with a narcissist. So if you're ever talking to me and want a guide for that, you can just watch that video. This made my, this made your penis smaller. I almost said my, but like obviously your penis got smaller, not mine. Um, and my penis got bigger in comparison to yours as well. Meth jaw, how to become more attractive with facial hair. Okay, Leo, you know, I feel like you're just rubbing it in at this point because I can't grow a beard and I feel like that's a shot at me as far as like, what if you can't grow a beard and you want to get more attractive? So I'm just, I'm just fucked. <laughs> no, cool. <laughs> I get it, dude. Um, edit this whole segment out. All righty, 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 righty. We got another hellish chef Harley for you. If you're new to the page again, I'm going to try to bring you recipes that I've actually used in my real life. And when that runs out, I'll use other recipes that I haven't used or recipes from you guys that you can send in that I can try and actually eat on the show. But for now, it's just stuff that I've tried that I like that are like, uh, like Leo and his biohacking. These are my diet hacks and just things that I have implemented to, to scratch the itch of something I really like while maintaining a caloric deficit by eating high volume foods that are high in protein um, and, you know, low to moderate carbs and fat that also taste really good and scratch that itch of something that you really want, but it's just way healthier, you know, both uh, calorically and on a micronutrient level. So this is going to be the chocolate protein lava cake. There's a bunch of recipes all over the internet for this specific uh, little snack. Greg Doucette's is the first one that I used and tried. And I, you know, he, he's, if you know him, he's always pitching his cookbook, but anything I've tried from Greg Doucette's cookbook has been phenomenal. So this is another example of that. But if you want a different recipe and you just want to get something random off the internet, there's plenty of variations on this. What you're going to need is a cup of egg whites. First of all, big mixing bowl, right? Cup of egg whites, one half cup water, 40 grams of cocoa powder, three packets of the sweetener of your choice. Like I like Splenda, but you could use Stevia or whatever you want. One teaspoon xanthan gum. I think that was the only thing I had to go out and get that's like maybe not gonna be in your pantry, but it's a thickener. Five scoops of protein powder or 190 grams of protein powder if you wanna weigh it out precisely because I know it can kind of be tough to get an exact same scoop every single time. Uh, but the one I use, the flavor is PE. You know, I'm a big fan of PE science, the cake pop for the protein pancakes, and then also um, the chocolate frosted cupcake for my regular shakes. And for this recipe, the chocolate uh, peanut butter cup is phenomenal. And the peanut butter is not overwhelming, so it still tastes like a chocolate lava cake, and the peanut butter just adds a little something satiating um, to the mix. It makes it a little bit richer, and it's just the perfect flavor for this recipe. So. You mix all that up till it feels like cake batter, okay? Um, and I believe there's five servings in that actually. Pour each one, you're gonna have this big bowl of batter, pour into a, a medium-sized bowl, uh, one-fifth of the batter, you put it in the microwave for 35 seconds and it comes out fluffy around the rim, like, you know, a, a cake. And then in the middle, it's nice and gooey. Remind you of something? Get your mind out of the gutter. I'm talking about regular lava cake. <sighs> God, you're sick. Anyway, 148 calories per serving, 2.8 grams of fat, 23.6 grams of protein, one gram sugar, four grams fiber. And it tastes like cake. If you're not shoving garbage down your throat all day, this might actually taste good. Crazy to think. But it's a legit dessert. It's something I've had a number of times and like look forward to it. It was satisfying. I'm like, oh, I feel, I feel like I ate a dessert, 
right? So if you're somebody who's like, I would I want to lose more weight, but I just I have this sweet tooth. Use a hack like this, all right? Turn that sweet tooth into a splendid tooth. Can we move on? Are you guys chefed up enough? God damn. How many recipes do I have to give you? Oh, Mark, we want more. Oh, my God. I'm still hungry. Bless us with your vast knowledge of diet and nutrition. Okay, dude. <laughs> Chill out. It's like, God, can I take drugs anymore? Speaking of which, I thought the hella psychedelic portion of the podcast went well last time. I talked about my experience a little bit and just um, microdosing mushrooms with uh, from a Rhonda Patrick video where there seems to be some really interesting um, recent insights into how that could potentially cure or at least mitigate depression uh, for at least six months is when they studied it. Really interesting stuff. And I invited you guys to, to comment below. Wanted to read a couple of the comments. <laughs> Just because I've had so many positive experiences and like, I love hearing from other people. I'm like, yeah, yeah, because I used to be scared of LSD. I used to be scared of psychedelics and didn't realize you can really manage it. You know, I'll have people who get blackout drunk being like, but I never do LSD. I'm like, huh? Like, <laughs> it's so much safer. There's even a really interesting video one time. Have you ever seen this, Casey, where like, there's this guy who's like, I'm gonna, I don't know why you would. It wasn't like it was crazy viral, but it was a super interesting and maybe you've experienced this. The guy was like, I'm going to take five shots and then, and on one day and take five uh, tabs of acid on another day and film myself doing things like juggling or like catching balls or like coordinated, you know, like hitting a baseball. I'm using a lot of baseball examples here, but what I'm saying is it would be anything that would indicate a general coordination athleticism and kind of like, you know, could you drive a car? I don't like not to where he's actually going like, oh, I crashed on LSD and didn't on, but a battery of tests, let's say it was remarkable how much more coordinated he was on LSD. Like, you just drop out, you're drunk, it's like, ah, like you, you can't stand up, you can't, you know, there's a reason to do the drunk test. You really can't pass a certain blood alcohol level, you can't do it. On LSD, you would never have known. And this is five tabs deep, like you were tripping balls, you know, like you were seeing full on psychedelic visuals. I, I don't know if you're like, I've never like hallucinated something that I thought was, like I always know what's, but it's like, there is an overlay of like, you know, bright, saturated colors and shapes and this whole firework display going on at that level of LSD. Um, but you can apparently still, you know, if you really wanted to, you can access your, your full uh, intellectual capacity and coordination and athleticism. So, rant over. I'm going to read this comment here. Best trip ever, LSD at Bonnaroo in like 05, I think. It was a Saturday and the weather was hot, but no one cared. Good. We were all a bunch of half-naked kids with our parents' money trying to be the biggest hippie we could. I like this guy's honesty. <laughs> he had to throw in, you know, because somebody's like, oh, this is the festival, it's so cool. I'm like, yeah, you're leaving out the part where like somebody else is financing this. Um, it was a Saturday and the weather was hot, no one cared. Okay, I read that. Some guys walk up while we are waiting for a band to start with liquid, liquid acid and drop it on me and my girlfriend's tongue. We tripped so hard for about 10 to 12 hours. One cool thing about LSD is that it does, the high lasts longer than almost any drug. It's like stable. Uh, as a high for 10 to 12 hours, it's crazy. It was an amazing experience. We both just fully immersed ourselves in the music, people, and each other. We ended up seeing Jack Johnson, Ben Harper, Robert Randolph, the Almond Brothers, and widespread panic. And one day, we made our way to the comedy tent that night. And I think it was the same day we saw Mitch Hedberg, but could have been someone else that exact day. We laughed on that LSD literally all day long. I've had many similar experiences where it's like, my face hurts. Oh, because I was laughing the entire day. Three days of pure enjoyment. But that LSD trip changed our lives, and in a good way. We even set a breakup date. And we held true to it, which is nuts, but cool. It made, me, it made us understand ourselves 
and we could be totally honest with each other and ourselves about our plans for our lives. We were young. Nothing else I've found does that. Shrooms are close, though. I agree. I also prefer LSD to shrooms. And I'm sticking on that little sentence right there where he goes, we set a breakup date. It's like, that's the kind of radical honesty. And I'm not saying this can happen to everybody, but you have these moments where you're like, I can let go. Because if you're letting go of ego and that's dissolving to a degree, what is so correlated with ego is things like jealousy and fear and all that stuff. So if you can let jealousy and fear go, yeah, you could probably have an honest conversation about your breakup. One more is after some from my buddy, Matty Moldovan, after some crazy events, took mushrooms in the forest in Whistler, BC, changed my life forever. We all have a duty to hold ourselves accountable. Everything we need is inside. No one is coming to save us. Accountability. So I guess that's the message that he took away from this. But it, I'm not surprised because sometimes you kind of emerge from these experiences with themes. You know, like accountability. I need, you know, you, you understand it just clicks in like, damn, yes. And I like that idea that like no one's coming to save you. Maybe somebody will, but you cannot expect that. And especially when we're looking at foundational things for our well-being like the gym. Nobody's coming to get you to pick you up to drive you to the gym. Maybe I will someday, but... You know, I, I, nobody's coming for me, and it's a good attitude to have that, you know, hold yourself accountable first, and good things will happen. I also wanted to share one quick experience. I took four tabs one time that I, like, found in my, like, <laughs> I've t had a lot of ill-advised drug experience where I'm just like, oh, like, I found four tabs in, you know, this suitcase from a trip that, uh, you know, went on two years ago, and acid does degrade, so maybe it wasn't, like, a full, like, four tabs because it does degrade in sunlight over time if you have it out in the air. But I just popped him and was like alone in my mom's room, <laughs> in my mom's house, in my own room. Um, but this is like a number of years ago. It's like 2015 or something like that. And I just like, it was at night and I sort of, for the first few hours, I was like just laying in bed and like working through like my own trauma about my dad's death is what it felt like. Like I was just thinking about him and like processing memories and kind of like coming to terms with it just inside my head for several hours, but it was like a positive, it wasn't like a nightmare, like, no, I can't get it out of my head. It was like, I'm thinking about the good and the bad, and you know, you're having all this wide range of emotions. That's not so much notable as what happened when I got up and went downstairs and it's like three in the morning and nobody's up. And I'm like, I kind of just, you know, was mentally exhausted from that thought process that I'd been going through the last few hours and I wanted to put on the TV. What was on the TV was this doc that I was like, Later, I'm like, did I watch that? Or was I just imagining that on LSD? But the craziest kind of takeaway from this thing was in Russia, there's this uh, Fox domestication program. Are you aware of this? Okay. Um, like, because people, you can buy foxes. Now, they're expensive, but like basically, they, they in, you know, there's an abundance of foxes in Russia. They would catch them and put them in um, these crates and sort of like label them like um, either hostile, neutral, or friendly, right? And they would take like only the neutral and friendly or maybe even just the friendly ones and like sort of do like this rapid, um, you know, genetic selection, like accelerate the process of domesticating foxes in a few decades. Like it started in the 60s and now it's complete where they have this like domesticated fox breed. And so over time, you just keep selecting for like friendly traits. So you get these friendly fox, but like, you know, uh, probably two thirds of foxes are either neutral or like will bite you when you open a door, right? Just to begin with. But if you breed all the friendly ones, they're going to be friendly to humans very, very reliably. The interesting takeaway from that is each successive generation that was bred for friendly traits, you could see these uh, phenotypic markers. So their physical appearance changed um, as they selected for behavioral genes. And they started to look more like domesticated dogs.
oh my God, I was like, what? Like the same, the same path physically that wolves took to look more like dogs, like their ears started to flop over. Their snouts became like every, like if you look at a you know modern dog, that's not, you know, I'm talking about like a little tiny fucking chihuahua, but like, you know, look at a golden retriever versus a wolf. Those, like a domesticated fox is three of those steps toward, you know, where, what the golden retriever became. That was just mind blowing to me. I'm like, holy fuck, you know? It'll always stay with me. Maybe you're like, okay, and what's the rest of the story? Nothing. You can buy a fox if you want to. If you have 10,000 bucks and you want a domesticated fox, it's going to have little floppy ears just like your pet doggy. That sounds like a sick documentary that you definitely imagined on drugs. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it was all in my head. Oh, everybody's dead. I'm dead. <laughs> um, all right. In the hella personality portion of the podcast, we're going to finish up here. So... A lot of people brought in also, like they took the test. I had you guys take the Myers-Briggs at 16personalities.com. I told you about myself. Here's one thing I wanted to look at. A lot of people came up with INFJ type and they put it in the comments. Now, INFJs are supposed to be 1% of the population. I'm not saying you guys are liars. Sometimes you do get inaccurate results, but it's a phenomenon where it, it, maybe there's something about you know, different personality types. I always feel like three, you know, three types are mainly drawn to me. And I'm not gonna tell you those right now, but like you are gonna experience, if you went and had your friends took it, you would see like, it probably skews towards two to three main types of people who you're gonna naturally end up being friends with. So it doesn't surprise me that one that's supposed to be only 1% of the population is disproportionately represented in my comments because maybe you're more interested in ideas like this or the way that I communicate or whatever. But I saw like three people post INFJ which shouldn't happen ever, but I'm gonna read that shit out loud, all right? I'm gonna click this bad boy. It's the advocate, an advocate is somebody with introverted, intuitive feeling and judging personality traits. They tend to approach life with deep thoughtfulness and imagination. Their inner vision, personal values, and a quiet principled version of humanism guide them in all things. Advocates are the rarest of personality types of all. Still, advocates believe, advocates leave their mark on the world. They have a deep sense of idealism and integrity. And by the way, all NF types like ENFPs, INFPs, ENFJs, INFJs are idealists. They see the best in the world and work towards something that many other people would consider impractical, you know, like solving world hunger or something like that. Many people would be like, ah, that's never gonna happen. But NF types tend to work towards those really big idealistic goals. Deep sense of idealism and integrity, but they aren't idle dreamers. They take concrete steps to realize their goals and making a lasting impact. Advocates' unique combination of personality traits make them complex and quite versatile. For example, advocates can speak with great passion and conviction, especially when standing up for their ideals. At other times, however, they may choose to be soft-spoken and understated, preferring to keep the peace rather than challenge others. Very true. They stand up for what's right, help create a world where others do the right thing as well. I'm going to jump to, uh, you can read more at 16personalities.com on this specific archetype, but I was going to tell you some famous ones because that's always fun, right? Uh, someday I'll come back to ENTPs and the famous ENTPs, but fictional and real famous INFJs include Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa. But if you haven't read Christopher Hitchens' book on her, please do that. Because people sort of use her, that, that name as a, a stand-in for best person ever. However, she does sort of represent the dark side of an INFJ, um, which I'll get to in a second. Because if you take some of these qualities to an extreme, you can become hyper-idealistic. It can interfere 
with other people's well-being if you take if you have control and power and take things to an extreme. Nelson Mandela, Lady Gaga, Nicole Kidman, Khaleesi, and let's not forget the most famous INFJ of all, Hitler. Another one where you go, I might, might have taken things as far as his personality traits. You know, these people are creative, they're organized, but it, maybe they get a little bit crazy. Khaleesi, when I was watching Game of Thrones, spoiler alert, I like to predict, like for Tyson Lannister is an ENTP, right? Um, for example, so I'd like to play the game of like, you never know, because it's not like they come with some guide, but you can see what other people say on the internet. So I like to type people as I'm watching shows that are really well written, like Game of Thrones. Um, Khaleesi's an INFJ, she was always convicted based on her beliefs and her morals and doing the right thing. She made all these really like rogue decisions, you know, to like free these warriors when everybody was advising her against it and give people freedom and sort of, you know, treat them egalitarian. But then the, that righteousness went to her head and it became very destructive, right? In a similar fashion, we see something like with Hitler where it's like this extreme sort of righteousness that allows uh, you to suspend your empathy for the suffering of others, even though you might have started out in an attempt to, you know, at least claiming like, I'm going to better the people, and then you end up destroying the people. Um, not to end on those two terrible examples, but I think INFJs are super fascinating, super smart, some of my best and most interesting friends. And another difference between I'm an N and their Ns, but there's two different kinds of Ns. Every trait is like, uh, like N and S. You can be an have introverted intuition or extroverted intu intuition. I have extroverted intuition. I like creating connections in the outside world. And an INFJ uses intuition in a slightly different way where they sort of like get answers from this mysterious web inside their head. It, often they'll get answers to things like, I don't know how I got there, but it's right and I know it. And, um, you know, there's like an oracle quality to it. And I sort of have a, I guessed right quality to me. I don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe. All right, let's end it off with a, this is why we can't have nice gyms, okay? Click this little link here. And the reason we can't have nice gyms, listen to this guy. Fuck you, dog. Fuck you, dog. <laughs> Here's the thing, you're letting the, Jesus. He's letting the dog into the gym and then he's getting mad when the dog dogs, all right? We can't be doing that. And this is why we can't have nice gyms because you want the dog around, but you don't want the dog to be a dog. So just chill, dog. If you're gonna have the dog in, he's gonna do dog things and he's gonna wanna squat. He's gonna wanna do everything that you're doing because dog is man's best friend. Definitely doesn't deserve the best dad ever shirt. I know, it's like, you know, hey, take that shirt off, buddy. You can't. You are, you are not the best doggo data. You just said fuck you to the cutest dog I've ever seen. Exactly. So I also wanted to play this because um, friend of the show, Bradley Martin. Um, Brad, if you're watching this, I'm still waiting on that raw gear contract. If you don't mind sending that over. Um, you know, I thought like, you know, I'm 22. I'm ripe for the sponsorship. I think it'd be perfect. So, um, you know, you said maybe. And I feel like you were playing hard to get. But if you just like this, just... just be honest, man. I know you want me on the team, so just send over that contract. Um, I was over at Bradley's house shooting a sketch with Isaiah and some other people, and they had his dog in a pen, and the dog shit all over the place and pissed. Oh, stinky, gigantic diarrhea. But can you blame the dog, right? They're like, oh, my God, the dog shit. I'm like, 
oh, the dog shit locked up in a pen with no, you know, litter box or thing to cover the floor. Like, of course it is. You know, put me in a jail cell for a day or whatever, like with no toilet. I'm not going to be like, uh-uh. Could you let me out so I can pee in the toilet? Dogs are going to shit and piss wherever they can. So that's not the story. The story is I look at that and go, it's disgusting, of course. It was super stinky and gross. But I'm like, I love animals. And I consider it sort of my penance when I'm cleaning up the cat shit out of the box, you know, from four different cats. I'm going, this is the price I pay. One of the, one of the you know, many prices, obviously, you're buying food and paying for vet bills and stuff like that. But this is like the humbling experience that I want. Talk about gratitude. You have to be humbled in order uh, to express gratitude. And cleaning up animal shit is one of the best ways to humble yourself. So I used a whole roll of paper towels, cleaned up that giant pile of diarrhea, wiped it down. And uh, I guess Brad wasn't there. Word got around to him. He thanked me in the DMs. And uh, we had a little moment at Zoo Culture the other day where I just said, I said the same thing here. I said, you know, this is like the price for me to love animal. I'm an animal lover and I will pay that price. I will clean up that shit. Um, as Eminem once said, I shoveled shit on my life and now I'm dumping it on them. Who am I dumping it on? The people who don't like animals, okay? Oh, I'm sorry, animal haters. <laughs> Poop one, your dome. Well, I guess that's it, huh? I guess that was the best episode of the week of January 24th, 2022. That's not just me saying it. That's you guys going online, voting over 12 million times for this episode of the podcast, which hasn't even been released yet. <laughs> but just the word on the street was so strong that you came through and you said, Mark, I just have this feeling, I have this vibe, I have this confidence that the unreleased episode is gonna be so good that I'm gonna to go to bestpodcastepisodesoftheweek.com and vote for haters, we'll say, episode 18. Thank you for watching. Like, comment, subscribe. Put your type down there. Put your psychedelic experience down there. Put any questions you have for me because there's nothing I love more in life than pretending to know what I'm talking about to answer your questions. Until we meet again, tune back in next week. And guess what? Oh, oh, yeah. There might be another little button taken. Ooh, oopsies. Oh, I'm sorry. Did my, did my shirt come off right at the end of the show? Ugh.